0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and Author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at CalvaryAurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2nd Kings chapter 23, as we're encouraged by King Josiah. And we thank God for men like King Josiah, men and women that God raises up to restore true worship and spark revival. That God wants to revive our hearts. He wants to revive our churches. He wants to revive believers that have fallen asleep or have compromised. He wants to do a fresh work. And I have to say, no doubt among us, revival is needed. Individually, as a body of believers, that God is on the move. And if we settle down, He's gonna move without us. He's gonna move on without us joining in. But that's His desire. He invites us. To join in. And that invitation goes a lot of different ways. But one of the greatest invitations to join the work of God is to embrace the changes that are before you. To embrace the adjustments that God is doing. You have to understand that where you are is where God wants you and all that's happening around you has come to you father-filtered. That God has literally filtered the things that he's allowed into your life. And that he is working all things together for the good for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. And we want to embrace the work that he's doing. The dynamic work of God continues now. Even as you're here, you're a part of it. And if you weren't here, you'd miss out on what God wants to do just in this 45 minutes of time. Like God wants to speak and encourage. Pastor Greg writes, Pastor Greg Laurie, uh it's one of our books that we recommended recently. Uh, we don't have any more of them, so you'll have to get it on Amazon. It's called Jesus Revolution and in this book i was just read it again uh away on my vacation let me read to you a quote it's a little bit long so stay with me i'll try to read it in such a way where you can stick with me so let me read and quote pastor greg and i quote so that's the central question for all of us today young or old are we going through the motions comfortable and complacent Consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that to you. Is the central question that's before us, young or old, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we really desperate to know God and to embrace the fresh, mysterious, powerful wind of His Holy Spirit? Revival, after all, is not about human plans, programs, campaigns, or particular denominational movements. It comes from the real revolution that only God can bring. That word revolution cuts both ways. It's a paradox, he writes. First, Revolution means a sudden, radical, complete change in structure in favor of a new system. Think about it in a personal sense. The spiritual revolution means that Jesus touches our lives and radically transforms them from the inside out. The old allegiances are gone. The old structures torn down and replaced by the fresh presence of his spirit and the new paths of obedience. Even if we don't happen to have a dramatic experience, when we're saved by grace, the reality in terms of our eternal standing is that it's a new beginning. The past is finished and gone, and the new has come. We belong to Jesus, and we'll see him in heaven when we die. Boom! But the revolution that Jesus brings is more than just this sudden, radical new beginning. Revolution also means the act of revolving in a circle, back to a fixed point. It's like the rolling of a wheel, revolving, returning to the same place, yet moving forward. So the Jesus revolution really is not just a one-time dramatic upheaval. It's also the same process of an ongoing relationship with God, a long obedience in the same direction. Now, if you want a copy of that, email me, and I'll send it to you, pastor Ed at calvaryaurora.org, because I want you to chew on it. The reality of the fresh work of God. This sense of, are you just, am I just going through the motions? Is it just some cultural brand of churchianity that we've become accustomed to after having this radical transformation of being born again? I mean, radical. That God just completely changed the direction of our life and sparked in us His life. Really, not just spark, but resides in us. It's His new life. But over time and we learn a few scriptures and we go through the motions of going to church and you know, doing things at church and, and we even begin to forget about the grace of God, that it's his work in us, that, that our responsibility is to abide and receive fresh life for us, that we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we just adopt something that gets us through the motions, bides our time, and really isn't affecting us at all and we're in need of revival. unless you think it's just a 21st century thing, we come to the Old Testament. God raised up Josiah because the nation needed revival. They didn't even have the scriptures in a place where the, they didn't even have the place of the temple in repair to come and worship. And so revival came, and to me it's encouraging as much as, or I, I would say, first let me say it's discouraging to think That our church, our church, we don't need to talk about the church at large. Let's talk about this church, that we've fallen asleep at the wheel and we're just coasting along. And I think there's still places of yet to discover where we're just not pressing in anymore. We're just, instead of pressing in, we're falling back. You you go, oh, you know, when I read the book of Revelation, uh, I don't think I'd ever be a part of the church of Ephesus. If that's you, that you really need to consider because Ephesus didn't think they were Ephesus either. And you go, Ed, what are you talking about? Well, in the book of Revelation, you remember in the very beginning, Jesus wrote these seven little post-it notes to seven different churches. And to the church in Ephesus, what did he tell them? You know, you're doing a lot of great things, a lot of activity. You're doing, one, you're very discerning, very doctrinally sound. But I have this against you. What? I mean, I can do great things. I could be doctrinally sound. I could be a good moral believer or whatever, we, and, and still have Jesus. Can you imagine doing good things in Jesus' name, and he still has something against you? And those of you that are Bible students, you know exactly what he had against them. They had what? Left their first love. They'd walked away from that passionate love, relationship with Jesus Christ. So he said, you know, man, you need to repent. Remember where, from where you have fallen, repent, and repeat the first works. Now, you've got to understand something. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for a while. There are people listening to me right now that will still walk out of here today, now, unchanged and unfazed by simply a challenge, not of a pastor, not of a passionate pastor, but of Jesus Christ himself that anointed a man with the gift of teaching to bring this to you today. There's still resistance and hard hearts. It's not going I'm not gonna give up, but I have to say that's always a discouraging thing. However, a greater emotion that I enjoy, that I have, is not discouragement, but I am more encouraged than I am discouraged. Because God is not limited by our limitations. He's not limited by hard hearts. So he has a group of 100 people, and there are 99 hard hearts. You know what God does? He uses the one soft heart. And he will accomplish his work. So what that tells me is, is that when I'm in a group of 100, I want to be used of the Lord. And I want to take as many people to heaven as possible. Is that where you're at in your mind? Just begin to think it through. Is, are you on the earth embracing the call of God in your life to take as many people to heaven as possible. I mean, that's an exciting thing. And God will raise up Josiahs. He'll give us leaders. He'll speak new life into us. He'll breathe new life into us. He'll pour out a fresh living water. Out of the abundance of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's the work that he wants to do. So last time in our study in 2 Kings, we learned how God used King Josiah to number one, repair worship, to two, revealing God's word and bringing it back to the forefront. Thirdly, to stir repentance. And then we saw finally in our study to seek the direction from God. And so we ended our time encouraged by the work of God in and through women. That was the end of our Bible study, God's value upon the ministry of women in the church that women are not second-class citizens, and we learned a big Bible word that I taught you. Do you guys remember what that word was? I know it's been a while, but it's the word ontological. Remember that word? And it simply is a fancy word that means of equal value. Your nature is equal value. And so ontologically, we're equal. And if you weren't here last week, please pick up the study. It's on the app or on the web, and pick it up and be encouraged. So now, verse 1 Chapter 23. Then the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people both small and great. And notice, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which he had been found in the house of the Lord. Then... The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took their stand. Mark that. All the people took their stand for the covenant. They were challenged and they responded. And so the fifth thing that we learn as God is bringing revival, the fifth thing is, is that the word of God is read. There is an emphasis placed upon the word of God. Now, fortunately, in all the things that we faced as a church over the years, all of the ups, all of the downs, all of the challenges, all of the changes, when we had different locations, different leaders, different pastors, all the things that we've experienced, praise God, and I'm inviting you to join me Praise God that we have not abandoned the Word of God here at this church. It is still central focus in this place. It is the tool that God uses. Yes, praise God for it because some churches don't make it. Some churches don't make it. They leave the Word of God for something else. And over the years, I've taken a lot of flack by not adopting something else or not doing something else or why aren't you doing, you know, there was one popular thing a few years ago that it seemed like every church in town was doing. And so everybody here was like, why aren't we going to do it? Because that's not what we do. We're going to teach you the Bible and we're just going to, well, how long is it going to take? I don't know. I'll find out when you find out. It'll take us some time and we're going to We're committed and we're not abandoning. And we're not leaving. Of all the changes you might experience in today, we will not leave verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, expository, textual Bible study. That's what changes. It's not my opinions. It's not my bad jokes. It's not my passion, not the inflection of my voice, although I will be who I am. And that's all I can do is tell bad jokes and try to relate. I mean, not that you guys are any better joke tellers, so it's kind of a relatable thing. But none of that changes a person. It's not Ed Taylor that does the work. It's God through His Holy Spirit using the Word of God. And it will always accomplish the thing that God sent it out for. So I was talking to a pastor. I had to drive cross town for the courthouse and I was on my way to do the radio program uh, in Lakewood. And I was talking to a pastor friend in another state. He's talking about some things going on. And and a brother came up to him and said, "Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm just not getting anything out of your Bible studies. And then he proceeded to tell the pastor how he could do better in his Bible study methods so that he could get out of it. And I said, well, look, first of all, listen to him because it could be something the Lord wants to improve on. Uh, It could be something you could do better. It could be. However, what what that brother's sharing with you is actually more an indictment on him than it is on your Bible study. And that's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says because the Bible says that when God sends out his word, so I've only read three verses so far, but in those three verses, God has already accomplished the purpose why he wanted me to read them today. He's already, whether you believe it or not, God has already done his work through three verses already. He's already worked in people's hearts, and you go, well, Ed, I didn't really get anything out of those three verses. That's not my fault. Because if you open yourself to God, he'll give you something every time you ask. Every time the Bible's open, God speaks. You want to hear the voice of God? Open your Bible, read it out loud. You will hear the voice of God, because God will speak to you through his word. And so as you find yourself, well, you know, I just don't, it could be that, you know, maybe here, you go, Ed, you know, I just, your Bible are dry. I'm mean, Okay, it could, could be that God's calling you to another church so you can hear from another pastor. I hope you don't make the same complaint there. I hope wherever you end up, you hear from God. But it could be, it could be you, not me. Because God can use a donkey to communicate, not that I'm any better than a donkey, but he could use a donkey to communicate his word. It could be, like James said, about the wax in our ears and our unwillingness to listen and to absorb. Like for some of you, and this is, I think, a word from the Lord, because I didn't plan on sharing this, and neither did I think I would talk to this brother or all of it. So I think this is a word from the Lord, because the reality of, if you're in a church, this one or another one, that teaches the Bible, and you keep leaving with the same thing, I don't get anything, I don't get anything, then I'm going to tell you to do this. Go back to the last thing you ever got in a Bible study and obey it right away. Because it could be that God is holding back new revelation in your life because you haven't obeyed the revelation you've already received. Go back to the time. Well, you know what? I haven't gotten anything in 13 years. We'll go back to the line, online, find the Bible study, the last one online that God spoke to you, and go to your notes and obey him so that it will open up your life and ears to new work. And it could be that God's wanting to do a fresh work, but you're holding back. Josiah is caught up in all of the changes that God is doing in the nation. God wanted these to be done. And in his own heart, he calls for the reading of the word. It's almost as if he's he's saying, what has happened? Why aren't we reading the Bible anymore? And so he gathers the elders and he gathers the leaders and because they're the key in establishing the truth and wisdom of God. If they're not in unity, if they're not moving forward together as one, then the division and the idolatry and all of the crazy things that have got them there in the first place are going to continue on. It's the leaders that lead. It's the leaders of the church that lead. And leaders need to be like-minded. And I pray for leaders that lead Spiritual men and women who have surrendered to the Lord for his leadership and then walk in faith, serving others, helping get our eyes back on the Lord. Jot it down, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. It says, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I'm married to you, and I'll take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. And I'll give you shepherds according to my heart, who'll feed you with knowledge and understanding. Revival, notice is rooted in God's Word. That's where revival comes. The greatest external tool in the hand of God in your life and mine is God's Word. So read it, study it, memorize it, listen to it, follow through. Verse 4. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests and the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations and the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem. And he burned it at the Bur- Kidron, and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down, verse 7, the ritual booths and the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled, and defiled the high places where the priests had burnt incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also he broke down the high places at the gates which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city which were left to the city gate. So the next thing he does, number six in revival, is he cleaned house. Cleaned house. You can jot it down again in 1 Peter 4. The Bible says, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It seems like the house of God these days is a great judge of our political world, a great judge of our cultural world. We're all great judges of everything that's going on in a sin-soaked world. Which, by the way, what do you expect in a world that is anti-God? What do you expect? It's going to get worse and worse. The Bible declares that. And it seems like we're all good. And I speak for the broader sense of being the judge of every bad thing in the world. But the Bible says, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And it's not even just our house, like here as a corporate church, but in your house, your address, the room that you rent, or the room in your parents' house, uh, the apartment, The condo the house whatever man that's where that's where it begins the secret places not here when we gather together where we we come and we want to be encouraged and we want to be built up and and we come with smiles on our faces and and we come in some sense of being cleaned up a little bit but the reality is is where we live it's home home is the reality and that's where judgment begins so it's time to clean house josiah goes in cleans out all the idolatry all the altars, the false gods, the, the sick sexual sin that was happening, the tapestries, the, the, the tools and the, the idols that were used for sexual sin and perverted worship of false gods. And the work of God leads to repentance and repentance leads to change. That's where it happens. It's not the other way around. Change doesn't lead to repentance. Repentance leads to change. And if you have it backwards, you'll never, it'll never, you'll never come full circle. And we've studied this in depth in other places in, the, in our study through 1 Corinthians, but there's a tremendous difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow starts with me. Godly sorrow starts with God. That's the biggest change. It's not what I've lost. It's not what I have to deal with. It's not my consequences. That's worldly sorrow. And it leads to death, the Bible says. It leads to discouragement and despair. But godly sorrow thinks of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the broken fellowship with God and longs to be back. I was thinking today about Nathan. Nathan comes to David and tells him this cute little story and says, David, what? What, what should I do about this guy that, that took the lamb? And he says, What? Kill him. That wasn't even the consequence in the law to kill him. But David was dealing with the guilt of his own sin. Kill him. Kill him, and who knows how it all went down? But at just the right moment, David, his best friend and confidant, whether he said it softly, whether he said it loudly, whether he said it with tears streaming down his face, but somehow he had to say it. David, you are that man, which birthed out Psalm fifty-one and birthed out a transformation in David. Although the consequences were painful, he was transformed by godly sorrow. Something hypocr- um, something being harsh, hypocritical, hypercritical, overzealous turns a person to God. But the Bible says, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? This is a new living, Romans chapter two, verse four. Don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? In the New King James, it says, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? Some people think it's not goodness. Some, th- some people think it's badness and it's criticism and it's condemnation. But God is good, Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive abundant in mercy to everyone that calls upon you. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust in the shadow of your wings. And it was the goodness of God and his patient love with the nation that motivated Josiah to clean house and take care of business. Notice verse 9. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. Don't miss verse nine. I'm gonna get back to it. Don't miss this. You know when there's good things happening in the Bible, and then the very next verse says, but or nevertheless, that's not a good thing. God's doing a work, cleaning house, idolatry being, nevertheless, there was a group of priests of the high places that didn't come. And instead, verse 10, he defiled Topheth, which is the valley of the Senehinom, that no man might make his son. Um, Speaking now of King Josiah, now back, that he now goes, he defiles this false god so that nobody will sacrifice their kids to Molech anymore. He removes the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech and the officer who was in the court and he burned the chariots of of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down, pulverized there, threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Verse 13. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth and the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moites, for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon, And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, verse 15, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder, and he burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of God. Which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. And he said, What gravestone is this that I see? And the men of city told him, It's a tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Verse eighteen, Well, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone, and the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. So Josiah took away all the shrines, high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, and he did them according to all the deeds that he had done in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. This didn't happen overnight. This is a thorough cleansing at the leadership of Josiah. And nevertheless, so revival is happening, excitement is returning, and then there's in verse 9, nevertheless, not everyone came to revival. Not everyone came. Some refused. Some resisted. The false priests held on to their evil practices and continued to rebel against God. But it didn't stop Josiah. He'll deal with them in a moment. Uh, I'll set you aside and I'm going to continue what God has called me to do. And then he, backpacks and he backtracks on it toward the end in verse 20. The ones that didn't show up for revival lost it all. What little false worship they were trying to keep, they ended up losing their lives over it. What little part they wanted to keep, they lost it all. And now, Josiah standing strong is a powerful move. You know, kings like Josiah are both popular and unpopular. And when you take a stand for the things of God, you too will be both popular and unpopular. There will be people that resonate with you, people that say, yes, I'll follow you anywhere you'll go. And there'll be people that resist and say, I don't, that's not for me. And so what do you do? You continue doing what God's called you to do and trust the Lord with everyone else. Too often we get our eyes on people and not on the Lord. And we get our eyes on circumstances and not on the Lord. And we get our eyes on the difficulties and not on the Lord. And that immediately arrests our progress of what God has called us to do. And I love what Josiah does. He just keeps on keeping on. Nevertheless, they didn't show up. All right, give me a few verses. I'll deal with them in a moment. But right now I need to deal with the real issue. And the real issue is how idolatry has been rooted in Judah. And as far as I'm concerned, Josiah would say, I'm cleaning house, taking care of business, leaving no stone unturned. Notice for a moment before we move on to the rest of our chapter in verse 15. It says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder, and burned the woman, the, the wooden image. Now remember, Jeroboam built an altar in Bethel so that people would not go back to Jerusalem to worship. He wanted to keep them close. It's been a while, but check this out. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 13. We haven't seen this in a while, but I want you to see this. Over 300 years, 300 years. Now, if you want to get the concept of 300 years, our country is not even 300 years old yet. 300 years is a long time. And 300 years earlier, before Josiah was even born, God spoke. What did he say? Notice 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. It says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, Behold a child. What does your Bible say? Say it out loud. Behold a child... Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And so what happens in 2 Kings chapter 23? 1 Kings 13 verses 1 and 2 is fulfilled. 300 years. I put in some uh, old familiar music on the way drive back. Man, it's a a dog of a drive from Lakewood to Aurora, man, five o'clock in the afternoon, let me tell you. And then when it's dark and you miss a few turns, you know, you're all over the place. So I was, I was originally got in the car to come back to the, to to tonight, uh, left the radio off. I was just praying, meditating on some things and praying for some things. And, and then I started getting frustrated and driving. So I put some music on and an old Maranatha song, a song that I learned when I was a new believer. It has a special place in my heart. Uh, it, 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 it was encouraging me to wait, wait, wait on the Lord. And, and then in one of, the, one of the phrases, it spoke about the peace that comes from waiting on the Lord. And I was like, yeah, Lord, just that peace of it's gonna be all right. Some things are on my mind, some things that I'm concerned about, some things that are outside of my control. It's just like, wait on the Lord. You're gonna renew your strength when you wait on the Lord. And God, he wants you to know that it might take 300 years for a prophecy to be fulfilled. It might. Well, Ed, if it takes 300 years, then I won't be here. Oh no, you'll be watching it from the mezzanine. You'll be able to know the, 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 the fulfillment of God's will because you'll be in the presence of the Lord and by then you will not question. In the presence of Jesus Christ, you will not question that God keeps his promises. you You won't even have an ounce of doubt. You'll be able to enjoy it for what it is in the presence of the Lord. So it might take 300 years, but I'll tell you what. God will keep his promises. The prophecies of God are God's promises. And while there has been over the years great emphasis on us being promise keepers, I'd rather rely upon the promise giver I don't know about you, but I don't always keep my promises, but God does. <laughs> so I try not to promise anything. <laughs> it's like, cross my heart, hope to die. No way. <laughs> I don't do that stuff. If my word isn't trusted, am I ever, then I, I don't know. I need to improve my character because my the word needs to be my word. I was talking about that with uh, the with team this morning, just thinking about it, that, you know, last year uh, in, I made some commitments to teach in other places, and I made some mistakes uh, in making these commitments. So I was gone a little bit more than I normally am. But it it put me in a dilemma. It put me in a dilemma, and I I had a choice. I could either face you and ask for forgiveness as a congregation or just talk about, hey, I made some mistakes, and so be patient with me and, and just take it and just have to do it. Or I could call the people I made a commitment to and say, oh, no, I can't do it. You know, the tendency is, is that there would be folks that say, no, I'm not going to keep my word because I gave him my word. You, you asked me to come out and teach the men, I'll be there. You, you asked me to come out and teach a conference of uh, pastors up in New England, I'll be there. And even some of, you know, Cassandra could share with you, some of the arrangements were just really brutal. It's not even on my wheelhouse, like no sleep and catching planes. And yet I put myself in that position. God allowed it. And God was testing me, I believe, looking back now with 2020, of would I keep my word? Because your yes, Jesus said, your yes needs to be a yes. Now, that's a little story for me. But you know what happens more, more often is like, hey, you know, guys will say, hey, I need help moving. And you will say, oh, yeah, I'll help you move. And then on Saturday, you don't show up. Believers should show up. You said you'd be there. You know, you make a commitment to do something here at the church and it's, it's cleanup day and maybe you didn't even make the commitment to us. You made it to the Lord. And so you never told us, so you never showed up, so we didn't know, but you knew. Your yes needs to be yes, not just with man, but with God. When you, when God speaks to your heart, he says, you hear an announcement, you go, oh, yeah, we need cleaning, you need help, whatever, whatever we're doing around, whatever announcement, whatever event, whatever outreach, and the Lord just speaks to you, you should do that. And then in your heart, you're kind of like, yeah, I'll do that. But then you give it a couple of days, and you go, no, nah, I don't want to do that, Nah, you know, you know, call up and you say, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to help, what can I do? Well, you know, we need an official overseer of the trash. Okay, I'll pray about it. What are you calling for? God already spoke to you. So many times, for believers, the phrase, I'll pray about it, is Christianese for, there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. Now, maybe some would pray, and I hope you do, but the reality is, is God is developing character in you. He's making you the woman and the man that he wants you to be. And so important in our culture is to be reliable and trustworthy, that our yes is Yes that we're not deceitful, that we aren't, we aren't unreliable, that we're trustworthy and we're worthy of trust, that we're faithful and we're full of faith. What will turn the world around but God living in his people, manifesting the very presence in a dark world? God's promised word is sure. And even in Second Kings, 300 years earlier, God said, Josiah is going to do this. And here he is, doing exactly what God said he would do. Verse 21, the king commanded all the people, saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it's written in the book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover has never been held since the day of the judges who judged Israel, nor in the day of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. You know, Passover is such a great memorial of God's faithfulness in delivering the children of Israel from Egypt and, and passing over those that put the blood on their doorposts, remember, in the form of a cross. Celebrating the blood and the faithfulness of God and the blood that symbolized freedom and forgiveness. You haven't celebrated Passover since the day of the judges, but, verse 23, in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, this is, I have this highlighted, verse 25. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul, with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. I'd like to meet Josiah. I don't know how that's all going to go down. We often make fun of heaven like we're going to be in line, you know, waiting for people. I don't know how it's all going to go down, but Josiah's on my list. And you, one verse says it all, no, no king like him. And there wasn't any king after him. Josiah's the real deal. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn, verse 26, from the fierceness of his great wrath and his anger which was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with, with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I've removed Israel and will cast off the city of Jerusalem which I've chosen and the house of which I've said my name shall be there. It's been hundreds of years since the Passover celebrated. So revival worship starts again and we get back to basics. Verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days pharaoh necho king of egypt went to the aid of the king of assyria to the river euphrates king josiah went against him pharaoh necho killed him at megiddo and he confronted him then his servants moved his body verse 30 in a chariot from megiddo brought him to jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb and the people of the land took jehoahaz the son of josiah appointed him and made him king uh, in his father's place jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king he reigned three months in jerusalem His mom's name was Hamatul, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And, verse 32, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and according to all that his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah, in the land of Hama. He might not reign in Jerusalem. He imposed on the land a tribute of a hundred talents, silver, a talent of gold. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in his place of his father, changed his name to Jehoiakim. Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. Verse 35. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Pedaiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. I say, one day there's going to be something written about your life and mine. And you're either going to be Josiah or one of those other kings. It's really what it amounts to. It's either going to go down like Josiah, man. There's nobody like them in your family. Nobody like them in your neighborhood. Nobody like, there wasn't someone like him before him and there wasn't anybody after him. Or you'll be like any of the other kings. Yep, that guy, that gal. Did evil in the sight of the Lord. Chose to follow kings beyond Josiah. Meddled in affairs they should have never meddled in. Got involved in things they never should have gotten involved in. You know, I think Josiah is a warning to us. He was a good, godly king. We'll learn more in 2 Chronicles about him. Yet he got involved in this Pharaoh Necho thing and he lost his life. And you know, the Bible teaches us to mind our own business. Did you know that? The Bible teaches you mind your own business. And you say, Ed, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by his ears. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor, and only fools insist on arguing. And on and on you could say, mind your own business, live at peace, take care of your own home. Make sure God's doing a work in you. Let him work in you so he might work through you. And he's got involved in something he shouldn't have gotten involved in and he died. Josiah loses his life. And I just say the end of our time together is this. Be careful what you get involved in. Be careful who you get involved with because it could end your life. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Stay strong in him. Let him revive your heart. Don't get caught up with this man, that that you young or old, like Pastor Greg said, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ. That could be why you've given up on people. It could be why you don't share the gospel anymore. It could be why you're not in the word anymore. It could be why your prayer life, because you have forgotten the electrifying power of the gospel, So much so that Paul had to write for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. For all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. It is the power of God. All we need to do is give it away. And that will be a little bit of what we'll be looking at in in next weekend studies, and just allowing the Lord to stir up, revive, and bring back life where it's been lacking, and build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants you to build your life on. Build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and not the shifting sands of this culture or this world, or your own strength. So Father, we are grateful for your word tonight, grateful that you would meet us here. Thank you for inspiring us by our missionaries, the work you're doing in Jerusalem today, I mean, we're looking forward to our trip in just a few weeks where we're visiting places in Israel that the Bible, like we, we'll be right there. And we may not know the exact spot something took place, but we'll be right where in the area. Megiddo is still Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Hinnom, the Kidron Valley, all of it. It's all there. It's so powerful. I pray for more and more people who will be able to go to Israel with us until you return more and more people will step out and by faith that you would stir up faith in our church, and life, and where we need it, revive us again, oh Lord. Revive our lives. Stir us up toward love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen.